Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. Got to kick off this last, uh, this last message in our series with a, a particularly fitting video. So watch the screen for just a moment, please. Wake up, honey. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Don't laugh at my cousin, by the way. Dorothy, Dorothy, dear. It's Aunt Em, darling. Oh, Annie Em, it's you. Yes, darling. Hello there. Anybody home? I I just dropped by because I heard the little girl got caught in the big... Well, she seems all right now. Yeah, she got quite a bump on the head. We kind of thought there for a minute she was going to leave us. But I did leave you, Uncle Henry. That's just the trouble. And I tried to get back for days and days. There, there, lie quiet now. You just had a bad dream. Sure. Remember me? Your old pal, Hunk? (laughs) Me? (laughs) Hickory? You couldn't forget my face, could you? But it wasn't a dream. It was a place. And you, and you... And you were there. Oh, <laughs> But you couldn't have been, could you? Oh, we dream lots of silly things when we... No, Aunt Em. This was a real, truly live place. And I remember that some of it wasn't very nice, but most of it was beautiful. But just the same, all I kept saying to everybody was, I want to go home. And they sent me home. <laughs> Doesn't anybody believe me? Of course we believe you, though. Oh, but anyway, Toto, we're home. Home. And this is my room. And you're all here. And I'm not going to leave here ever, ever again. Because I love you all. And, oh, Annie M., there's no place like home. Classic, right? Yay. I even love the music at the end. It just kind of sets it all up. The words are phenomenal. There's no place like home. This is my home. This is where I've been. There, there's something about it. I think she, we're, we've talked about these the past few weeks. She was truly on to something. Whether it, for better or for worse, uh, whatever you feel about home, the people you, ex, you experience there, even the things that you, whatever it is, there's just no place quite like home. Good or bad, there's just no place quite like it. And so when we've been talking about how, what that, how that affects us in this, this realm of our spiritual thing, we've talked in the, uh, so far kind of our foundational verse, Psalm 127 and verse number 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house or the home, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord is doing the building, this home is important as it is, if we try to do it on our own, we're, we're just kind of wasting our time. We're going through the motions. We're never going to get where it needs to be unless the Lord is the one building our house. So that's how important this concept of home is from the scriptures is God says, I, I want to build your home. And if you allow me to, it can be something that will truly be as I design, but we've got to let him be the builder. So we talked in the, you know, we talked about how the significance of the home the first week. We talked about the original uh, 
the original people in that home, that original mom and dad, that original husband and wife, Adam and Eve, and the importance of marriage and what that does in the home. Last week, we talked about the parenting and the honor of parenting and the importance of that in the home. So today, here's where we're going to go. We're going to go to a passage of Scripture, and if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, we're going to spend time in the book of Joshua, chapter 23 and 24. And there's going to be several verses we're going to look at throughout those, uh, throughout those chapters. But let me give you a little background of where we're going to be as we walk through this. Chapters 23 and 24 of Joshua, uh, Joshua being the leader now of Israel, uh, is giving kind of his uh, final words, his farewell address, if you would, to Israel. Here's what we know of Joshua. He's, when he dies, he's 110 years old. So at the time he's speaking, he's well over 100 years old. He's been the leader now, the actual leader, for almost 30 years. But he's been with Israel uh, on their journey now. He was one of the original leaders. Then he became the assistant to Moses. He filled in Moses' shoes, and he's been leading them. And you go through the book of Joshua, and you're going to find a lot of some miracles. You're going to find some great military exploits, all these kind of things. But now we have this, this uh, faithful old general who is now coming to the end of his journey, and he's going to address the people this one last time, or these, these last few times. And he's going to give them final words and things of encouragement. And we're going to read a passage this morning of this verse that's probably familiar to many of you. Joshua 24, starting in verse number 14, he says this, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in the Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Many of you finished that before I ever got there. A lot of you have pictures on your wall with that phrase on it, or pillows on your bed, something in your house. Many of you would have something that says to the effect, me, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Here's what we're going to talk about today. Me and my home, me and, the, and the, the family, the home that God has given me, what is the effect? What does God expect or what does God want from us and, and how do we get there? In, in, in essence, we're going to look at just kind of this, this phrase of, or this uh, idea of what Joshua is saying and kind of get a background to what he is and how that applies to us because those last few words, this is like a it's almost like a fight challenge. This is almost like army words. These are, this is a battle cry. Uh, it, it's like if those of you that were in sports, whether it's football, basketball, I've heard them in several different sports, that last motivational speech that the coach gives, right? And you're at, you're at a home game. It's the biggest game of the season. And one of the things he says is, you're not going to let them come into your house and take this away. from Not in my house. That's, not, that's what Josh was saying. I, I, he says, I don't care what the rest of the family does. He says, in fact, even if I'm the only one in my family that is going to do this, in my house, this is what's going to happen. In my house, this is what's, me and my home, that's, those are the words, those are the power that Joshua is talking about. It's a, it's a commitment on his part that regardless of what anybody else does, in this house, this is how it's going to be. In this home, this is what it's going to work out. This is how it's going to be accomplished in, in our house. It, what he's literally doing, he's give, he knows these people. 
Remember, he's been with them since he lived in Egypt. He came out of Egypt with them. He was a leader. He's seen all the, He knows the challenges. He knows some of the obstacles. He knows where they've been and what they've done. He's got this idea. So wrapped in these words, there's a warning wrapped around a challenge or vice versa. This challenge that he's going to give them to say, listen, this is what my house is going to be. But I also want to invite you to join me in this. In these words we're going to look at, he's saying, this is what my house, this is my family, but we're all family in this. It, we, think what we could do if we did this together. <laughs> me and my house, and I'm inviting you to join me in this journey that you make this choice for the way that your house, the way that your home it, it comes apart. So here's what we're talking about. Today, I, I, I believe this can be a word of encouragement, that wherever you are, wherever your family is, and that family might be a, uh, you're a single adult, Maybe you're single again. Maybe you're, you're, uh, uh, you, you've got kids. You've got the 2.5 kids and a dog and a mortgage. Or maybe you've got grandkids. Whatever it is, wherever your home, whatever that looks like, a word of encouragement that no matter what has happened or where you are, your home can, from this point on, can be what God wants it to be. Take the challenge that, Moses, that Josh was going to give us. As for me and my home, this is what we're going to do. But I do hope it will be a challenge. There are some things that some of us need to look at and we need to investigate and, and say, what, what do I need to do in my home to make it the home God has designed it to be? What are some steps that we can take today? So encouragement wrapped in a challenge, we're going to find out what God is saying about me and my home. So we're going to look at these passages. I'm going to pull out some observations that I think, even though they were written 6,000 years ago, they're still ex- Extremely relevant to us today, some things that are still happening that we can address in our home situations, and I hope that you're listening, whoever you are in whatever part of home happens to be. Let me give you the first one. We start in chapter 23. The culture changes, but God never does. We're living in a culture. Your home is based in a culture, in a society, and from the time that you have, even before you started this home, when you were in a home, you've been in this culture, and the culture will change. Society will change. But God stays constant. Here's what I've heard of from a lot of people, and, and I think I've probably said, sometimes we kind of wish for the good old days of home, right? You can remember back when Little Outhouse on the, little, excuse me, Little House on the Prairie, right? I, I just can't even say it right. Little house in the prairie days. Oh, those were the good old days. Yeah, and you had an outhouse and no heat. Okay, good old days, but there's some things that we are glad that have changed, right? Happy days was this whole, this, this, just the concept, whatever whatever thing you think of as with the right time and the good place, we go back there sometimes fondly and think those are the, if we could go back to, here's the thing, we will not go back. It will never be the same. Society has changed and society will continue to change. The culture will continue to change. But one thing we can always count on is God will always be the same. So if, if, we, can, if we don't know the culture is gonna, what the culture is going to be, there's one place that we can look that God will always be the same. And what does he want us to do with that knowledge? Here's what we know. As Joshua begins his farewell address in chapter 23, a lot's happened in those 20 to 30 years he's been the actual leader during his tenure. And here's how he kind of begins it. Verse number three, he says, You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. 
It was the Lord your God who fought for you. God has been good to you, Israel. He goes on in verse 5, the Lord, uh, the Lord your God himself will push them out for your sake. He will drive them out before you. He will take, let you take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. God has been good to you. God's not finished with you. God has a plan, and his plan hasn't changed. Now, culture has changed. You live in a different place now. You started this thing in Egypt. You've been wandering around the desert for 40 years. Now you're in a promised land. You've been taking possession of that. And so all of that represents change. It represents things that are different than they were before. But one thing that's been constant, God has had a plan for you. And God has been fighting for you. And God will continue to fight for you. But that being said, that's the same thing that we understand. No matter how the culture changes, God is still interested in your home. God still loves you. God still cares for you. God has a plan for you. All of those things are still the same. But there's some other things that haven't changed about God. God still has a standard of holiness. God still says there are some things that are right and there's some things that are wrong. That hasn't changed. Not only has the, the culture has changed, the culture looks at things differently. But God still says that holiness is my standard. That there are still things that he's doing, he promises and he delivers. In fact, as he goes on in verse 6, be strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Look at this last phrase, without turning aside to the right or to the left. He said, listen, God has been good, he's got a plan, he's still working that. But do not ever forget that you follow what God says. When the culture changes, God still says, this is right, this is wrong. Do that. It's still about that God's ha word hasn't changed. We still have a, a plan. Here's what's interesting. About 60 years before this time, when they were just first starting their journey, they had just, it was within a year after they got out of Egypt, the Big Ten was, was initiated. Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. And in the middle of those commandments, listen, look what God said. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. He's talking about the idols, false gods. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. That's what God said 60 years ago. And now Joshua's reiterating, that's the same God, and he expects the same thing from you. Notice something, just, just kind of a sidebar, when you, when, when you see those verses, uh, he, he says that he's punishing the children for their sin of the, to the third and the fourth generation. There's effects of sin, there's cycles that affect families, and we know that, and God has the power to break those cycles. But what I love about that verse is, he says, but I will bless those who obey me to a thousand generations. The mercy of God, yes, we have cycles, and we do things, and we repeat them, but God can deliver us. But when you do what is right, he promises thousands of, of deliverance and thousands of victories. God is at work in your family, but he says, the same God who led them out and told them, it's the same God now. You don't turn right or left. God is always the same. God's commandments, God's standard is still this. So thinking about that culture, Let's look at the second observation I want to make this morning about that culture, and that is you cannot escape your culture, but it does not have to shape who you are. So we talked about there's a cultural shift, and God is still the same, but now we're in this, the, these people are there, and we're going to, we take it to ourselves. If you go back to our opening verse, verse 14, Joshua tells the people, throw away the gods that are among you. So in other words, False gods had slipped into their culture, slipped into their people, slipped into their families. He said, listen, you've got to get rid of that stuff. So what he's saying is it's there. There are some issues that you've got to deal with. 
you've got to get some of this out of your families. If you're going to be what God wants you to be, you've got to recognize, realize, honestly admit, we got some junk in our life that we need to get out. You've got to throw away the gods that are a part of you. Now, where did this come from? Well, he, he mentions they were in an Egyptian culture which was flooded with, with false gods and polygamy and all, and, and the, all the stuff that ha- all that was part of Egypt. Well, now, 40 years later, into the wilderness, and then they get into this promised land, and they're surrounded by cultures that are equally, if not more, averse to God and, and all the false gods and all the wickedness. So they, they've moved from one culture to the next, and the culture around them is telling them that you, God is not necessarily, you know what, you don't have to forget God, just add him to all the list of other gods. Just add him, just put him in the list of your, who you're going to follow. They took all of that, and now they've got a culture that's telling them that you really don't have to do what God said. So what are you going to do about that? Look what Joshua tells them, verse 7 of chapter 23. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. You've got a choice, Israel. And it's not going to be an easy one because everything around you in the culture is saying to do this, but you know what you're supposed to do. You can do this, but you have to make a choice. The culture's strong, but it does not have to shape you. You can be different. Verse 10, the Lord has driven out from before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to stand or withstand you. One of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. He said, Have you, do you remember how strong God is? One of you took on a thousand and won. God has, God has won great victories. God is powerful. Your culture is telling you one thing, but don't let the culture shape you because God's bigger than that. 21st century America. 6,000 years later, and we're still fighting the same issues, are we not? We have a culture that we live in, inundates us, that would tell us that following God is not the wisest thing to do. There are other options. You don't have to necessarily completely ignore God, just add him to the mix. Follow God and follow other things. The culture is constantly telling us that God's way is either too narrow too wrong. Our culture, truth is up for grabs. Truth is relative. Truth is, if you believe it's truth, then it's got to be truth. If you want to do it, then if it's good for you, it's good for you. And and so our our culture, it's not new. This 6,000 years ago, the culture was fighting them. We move now to this day, 21st century America. The culture is still telling us there are things. Integrity is, well, What's best for you? What benefits you the most? Your honesty can be relative to what benefits you and what gets you further in life. Truth itself, it, it's even, even Christians who, who say they follow the truth, is, it's relative based on if this is truth that, that I agree with anymore. And if a one guy said, there's a, there's a pastor that I knew and respected for years who now says there's no such thing as hell, that just everybody's going to get to heaven. And that's not truth. But in our culture, that's okay. He can say that. And it's wrong for me to say that he's wrong. It's wrong for me to make a judgment. It's wrong for us to say anything that would disagree because now we're being unkind. Do you, anybody disagree with what I'm saying? That's our culture. Our culture says morality is, is it's flexible. Sex before marriage. Sex during marriage that's not your spouse. 
sex with a, someone of the same gender. All of those things, our culture is saying, that's okay. And God says, I haven't changed. Those things have been wrong for 10,000 years. They're still wrong today. I know I'm, I'm preaching today. <laughs> but I, I want you to hear, folks, that the same God that wrote, thou shalt not, still says, Christians, there is a way that you need to walk. And your culture's, you can't turn on the TV, you can't turn on the internet without being blasted with the culture that's saying the Bible is outdated, the Bible's irrelevant, you've got to make different choices now. The culture is telling us that. And it gets stronger and it gets more intense everywhere that we go, everything that we're hearing. But here's what I want to give you today. The culture is strong, but God is stronger. And as God's people, we don't have to be shaped by our culture. We don't have to be rude. We don't have to be, uh, we don't have to be in people's faces. We just do not have to be shaped. We can say, me and my home, we're going to do things differently. Look at some of these verses again. I take you back to verse number six. He says, so be strong. Some, many of your versions say be courageous. Obey without turning from right or left. Verse number eight, hold fast to the Lord. Verse 11, be careful to love the Lord. Yes, culture is strong. Culture is mean. Culture is trying to pull us in every direction. But your God is stronger than that. It doesn't have to shape you. It's been going on for years. But in order for you and your home to do what's right, you're going to have to recognize that a lot of the voices you're hearing in culture probably are false. God hasn't changed, and we can be shaped by, by him. Let, let's move out of culture for a minute and get right to our, some of our families themselves. Third thing I want you to get is this. Your family is not perfect, and all God's people said, right? Your family is not perfect, but it is still alive. There is still a, a a way that God can use your family. There's still a purpose involved with your family. It wasn't just their culture that was causing these folks problems. As we move into chapter 24, the first few verses, Joshua gives kind of a history lesson. And I want you to read what he says about the people. Joshua says to the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, who lived beyond the Euphrates River. I want to stop right there. We got a song that, we, that I grew up learning, and many of you learned about Father Abraham had many sons, right? And our hands and arms would do all these crazy stuff, right? Father Abraham, but have you ever, anybody know who Abraham's father was? Well, his name was Terah. That was one of the ancestors. But look how God describes these ancestors. They lived beyond the Euphrates River, and they worshipped other gods. Joshua's given them a history lesson. He said, folks, we got some, our family tree has some, some issues. We've got some problems even within our family. What, what he's telling us is that, that this isn't just some family quirk. This is real down-to-earth family issues that needed to be dealt with, the things that were a problem with them. This is a serious family issue. Their ancestors worshipped false gods, and to be honest, I'm sure Abraham started out that way. Before he became the, the change that he was and who he led, and he became the father of Israel, before that, he was right there. He was, so what did God tell him to do? Well, the verse goes on to say, But I took your father Abraham from the land, and I led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. God re, uh, displaced him. He relocated him. He took him. In fact, here's how Genesis 
12.1 just describes what God did. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. This is bigger than just God relocating Abraham. It wasn't just moving him from point A to point B. What you see in this verse is he had to, he had to leave his country, yes, but he had to leave his people And he had to leave his dad's household. That's the same word for home. He had to leave in opposition to his dad. Dad, Part of dad's problem wasn't where he lived. The land wasn't the issue. It was that dad was worshiping false god. In order to get away from him, he literally had to move away from that idol worship to a new place that God had in mind for him. It wasn't just area. It was a whole new life of no longer worshiping these false gods. He had to change his household. So now he's looking, Joshua, to these people, and he said, folks, we're all family here. He was talking to the Israelites. They were all cousins at some point. He said, we're all family here, but we've got some of the same issues. We've got people who are worshiping false gods. It's right within the family line, and we've got to do something. You've got to make a difference. Me and my house, me and my home, we're going we're gonna to stand up differently. Even if all the rest of the family doesn't change, we have to be different. Here's the thing. You may be the first home the first part of your home, the only one in your family circle that chooses to serve God. There have been people uh, over the years here even at Calvary and other churches I've been in who had, when they got baptized, that was actually a statement that their families not only didn't appreciate, I've had families that no longer spoke to their kids after they said, we want to follow Jesus. That's a tough point to take, isn't it? And maybe that's not your, maybe you don't have to do that, but at some point when your family, and whether it's extended or other, they're going a different direction, you may have to take a stand and say, but me and my home, we're going to follow God. It's, it's a statement that we have to be willing to, to make to follow Jesus wherever he takes us. Let, let me go back to our verse as we continue, verse 15, where he says, but as for me and my household, my home, we will serve the Lord. There, there's a lot of things that's said in there, and But here's the fourth thing I want you to get at, and that's this. The future is not known. You don't know what the future is. But it is somewhat predictable. Did you notice in that phrase that Joshua uses, as for me and my household? Now, it's one thing if Joshua were to say, I'm going to serve the Lord from now on. That's not all Joshua said, is it? Me and my home. Me and my household. It's a pretty bold statement that me and this home is going to serve God. Do you ever wonder if somebody in the back was going, hey, wait, I didn't, I didn't sign up for this, Dad. You know, did, did anybody say it? Because Joshua is basically saying me and this household, this, this home, we're going to, to serve God. It's a pretty bold statement. Let, let's find out. So who was Joshua's household? Was it Josh and the missus and the little ones? Is that who he's talking about? Remember, Joshua is close to 110 years old. So this wasn't a young family where Joshua's the dad and he's got little munchkins running around and he's telling them what to do and they're obeying. These are all, the kids that he has would all be grown. He would have grandkids, great grandkids, probably some great, great, although all my grandkids are great, great. I don't know about you, but anyway, great, great grandkids. I mean, we're talking this, he's got this, and he's talking about that household, all of those that he has influenced, and the words that he's saying is he is confident that there is a legacy of godliness in this family line that will continue. 
He speaks with confidence and says, I am going to serve the Lord, but I know, I have this confidence that me and the family, me and my home, me and the people that, are, that have come under my influence, we're going to serve God together. Something has been done over the course of, of Joshua's life, and he says, based on those things, I believe that I can say with somewhat confidence that this is going to be more than just a me thing. It's going to be me and the, the family, me and the home. We're going to make these differences together. Here's what I see in the, as we go through the, the rest of chapter 24. Joshua now has this very interesting dialogue with the people. And he speaks, and they, their leaders, they speak back to him. And then he'll speak, and they speak. It's a very interesting conversation. But in this, I would call this, we'll call it the Joshua 24 challenge. In these verses, he's giving a challenge. And I believe if we see what Joshua says to them, I think we begin to learn. This is how Joshua's family, how he could say with some confidence that there's going to be a legacy of godliness that passes on. Every parent and grandparent, you need to be listening to this. How can I have with somewhat confidence know that my family is going to continue to serve God? Joshua gives them some examples. Here's what happens in, in verse 15 we just read. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. It's pretty clear, pretty straightforward. You've got a choice to make, guys. Either serve God or not. Get off the fence. Quit Quit uh, fooling around with this thing. Either serve God or not. That's what he says. Now look at the next phrase. He kind of draws a line in the sand and the people say, Far be it from us to forsake to serve other gods. We know what God's done. We've seen it. He says, verse 18, We will serve the Lord because he is our God. Wow, that's great, right? So let's just stop. Let's all go home. Let's clap. Yay! Joshua said, serve. They said, we're going to do it, Joshua. Here's what Joshua does. takes a whole different tactic. Next verse, Joshua says to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He won't forgive your rebellion, your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he'll turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he's been good to you. Joshua wasn't real good at motivational speeches, right? <laughs> We're going to serve God. You can't serve God. What? What, what are you saying, Joshua? Why in the world would Joshua make such a bold statement? You cannot serve God. Let, let me give you some options. Number one, Joshua is saying to them, you can't take this lightly. Just because you say we're going to serve God, that's not the same as really doing it. You guys can take that verse and you can plaster on every pillow you have in your house and put it on every wall in your house. doesn't mean that that's what your home is doing. He's saying, you can't just say this. This is too serious for you to just say, yay, we will serve God. It wasn't a raw, raw emotional moment. He's laying a challenge down. He's putting a gauntlet down. He's saying, this, it can't be taken lightly. Here's another thing you've got to remember. You don't get to make up the terms of serving the Lord. You serve the Lord, but you don't do it on your terms. You do it on his you do it the way God has designed. You don't, you don't come to God with your conditions. Yes, I'll serve God as long as, or I'll serve God if, or I'll serve God when, when things are going well, or I'll serve God as long as it doesn't include this. You don't get conditions or limits. You're either going to serve him or not. It comes down to what God has, has said. Very much like Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, he talked about unless you Unless you have the attitude of hate toward mom, dad, brothers and sisters in comparison to your love for Jesus, you cannot be my disciple. Unless you carry your cross, you cannot be my disciple. Jesus made it very clear. This isn't your terms. You don't negotiate with God and say, I'll serve you as long as things are going well. Or I'll serve you as long as I can do this. This, is, this isn't a negotiation. 
you serve God or you don't. That's one thing Joshua's saying. But I also think very clearly Joshua's saying, and you can't do this on your own. You want your home to be what God wants it to be? You're going to need divine help for that to happen. You cannot serve God if it's based on you. Because the culture, everything else at some point is going to get to you unless you have help. It's about serving God with the help that he designed. So here, here's what the people said. Verse 21, the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. They're still strong in what they believe. So here's what Joshua says. You're promising God, so he says, here's what you need to do. You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord, and the people's response was unanimous. Yes, we are witnesses. Joshua, yes, we will do this. We're all in. We're going we're gonna to serve God. We, we make this commitment today that that's going to, to happen. And then Joshua gives them this final exhortation. And every parent, every student, every person in here, I want you to read what he says. The next verse, Joshua tells us in, in verse number 23, Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. Two very specific things. Every parent, grandparent, kid, whatever it is, your home, whatever it looks like. Number one, there are some gods in our lives. There are some junk in our life that need to get out. Throw away the gods that are in there. Throw, do, a, do an evaluation. What, are the thi- what is anything in our home, anything in our lives that has taken precedent, taken priority over who God is and what God wants me to do? And that could be, the list could be, could be long. It could be your work. It could be your entertainment. It could be social experiences. It could be relationships. It could be sports, whatever. Is there anything in your life, anything in your family that's taking precedent over doing what God wants you to do? That's an idol. Get it out. Get rid of the things that are keeping you from, from totally focusing on God. And then the second thing he says is, and yield. The word means incline. It means to bow. It means to spread out before him. You yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. You've got to throw out, you've got to do some evaluation. What is it that's keeping us from being what God, is, is it, I'm too busy. I'm, understand, God hasn't changed. So what do I need to do to be back where, he, what do I need to get rid of? And then how do I just yield myself as a person, as a father, as a mom, as a, as a spouse to, to be what God has called us to, to be? Verse 24, and the people said, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. Joshua, we'll do it. We're going to get rid of those foreign gods. We're going to yield ourselves to God. And so here's what Joshua says, verse 25. On this day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. He reaffirmed for them the decrees and the laws. He recorded those things in the book of the law. He took a large stone and set it up, and he said, See, the stone will be a witness against us. It will be a witness against you if you're untrue to your God. Can I give you four practical things in those verses that I want to encourage you? If you want your home to be what God wants, look what Joshua did. First thing is he made a covenant. He said, okay, this is what we're going to do. We will serve the Lord. They made a visible, verbal, out loud. This isn't some same thing in private. Yes, okay, I'm going to serve God. You say... From this point on, today, we're going to serve God. And they made a covenant. And he confirmed it with, then he said, and he reaffirmed to them the decrees and the laws. We are going to do what God's word says. That's going to be our standard. We're not going to work. The culture can change. Our families may be crazy. But we're going to stay where God has called us. He reaffirmed their laws. So you say it out loud. You live by God's standard. Then he actually recorded it. It means he wrote them down. 
Could I challenge you? What a great thing for you to do. You take you and you've got kids at home or you've got kids. You sit, you write down, this is what we're, from this point on, our family's going to serve God. And then you and your family sign it and date it. And you put it up on your wall and you say, our family's made a covenant. We're going to serve God. We're not going to be perfect, but we're going to make a decision. They recorded it. They wrote it down. And then I love the last one. And then they got a rock. And they said, this rock will be a witness. We're going to make this confirmation and this rock will be a witness. That rock's not going to say anything. We know that. It was a picture. Maybe you go home and take one of your big rocks out of the front and you put it in the front yard. That's our witness rock. That on November 24th, 2019, our family decided from this point on, we're going to serve God. And this becomes our witness. Every time I see this rock, I'm going to remember. Maybe it's not a rock. Maybe it is that plaque on your wall. And every time you see it, it's like those, the, the football players coming out of the thing. They, they slap it every time they come out. Because this is what, maybe every time you go out the door, you just touch it and you say, that's what our family's doing. Every time you go in the door, that's what we're going to do. This house, this family, this home, and my part, we're going to serve the Lord our God. Moms, granddad, par- grandparents, it's, say it out loud. Pray it as a covenant. Write it down. Put something in your mind to remember. God has done that. From that point on in Scripture, or for several times in Scripture, God gives us these things to help us remember. There were rock formations that they had to help them remember what God had done. They had the Passover that remembered how God delivered them from Egypt. And then we get to the New Testament, and Jesus said, Here, I want you to take this bread, and I want you to take this wine, and I want you to remember every time you eat and drink of that, that I died and gave my life for you. He has, there are things to visibly and physically remind us. So what would it take for you to remember that our family is going to do what God has called us to do. That's how important God has made this. And, and it worked. Verse 31 of this chapter, Israel served the Lord through the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him and who experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. It worked. These people that they had this dialogue with and they set up this rock with, they did it. God, in that generation, they served God and they followed God and all of those that lived in that, and they, they did what they said they would do. It, it's, it's, the future is, we don't know the future, but there are some things that if we do, we can, we can begin to see how God will work on a, on a continuous basis to make some of, the th- some of these things happen. It emphasizes the verse we talked about last week. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. I had a young man come up to me after service and said, when my son looked over and said, what does exasperate mean, Dad? I said, choke, okay? So uh, do not choke your children, although that's a thought, okay? Exasperate means don't make them angry to the point where they're pointing them to anger. Point them to God. Look what he said. Do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. And then there's one more verse that I want to, Christians... Many Christian parents have heard Proverbs 22 and verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Now, let me, let's, let's talk about that verse for a minute. Train up, it means dedicate. That's one of the words. It means literally to, to narrow, to hedge in, to, to, to point in the right direction. It's a starting point. Here's what God is telling us. As parents... Our job is to do our best to narrow our kids' uh, choices and, and as much as we can to the point where we, we keep them from evil and we point them to God as best we can as we're raising them up as, as parents. That's our job. 
Our job is to train them, to start them off right. Now, here's the point. Will they have to choose for themselves? Absolutely. That's why I, I use the word somewhat predictable, because you have to understand, your kids have, a, have to make choices on their own. The, the, the goal is you do your best, you train them, you narrow that field, you point them to God the best you can, you do whatever you, you can as parents, grandparents, you point them to where God wants them to be. And, and then it says, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. So here's a, here's a don't quit, don't give up. Sometimes this verse, some Christian parents read this and they don't want to read this verse because it brings guilt. They say, I must not raise my kids right because they're not going where they need to go. Understand, your job was not to make them go. Your job was to narrow the path and give them the instructions. And ultimately, they have to make their, but don't give up on them because they're not old yet. They're still living, breathing. They still have a chance. Don't give up on what God could be doing in their life. Then some parents find absolute hope in this verse because I know I did the best I could to to point them to God. So God, keep working on them. God, whatever it takes, bring them back to you. Just trust that. This, this verse, the, the, the book of Proverbs, several of these Proverbs, they're not, they weren't meant to be promises that this will happen, A will happen, if B, if B will happen, if A is done. They're general guidelines that as you follow these, you will see God work in very specific ways. And this is one of those. You do that. You point them to God, and then you pray, God, I've done the best I could as an imperfect parent. Now please watch over my kids. Take care of them. And, and God, where they're going, man, I don't like it. I'd wish they were going a different way, but God, I know I gave them the right instruction, so I'm trusting you to point them back to where they need to be. Because Joshua says, listen, me and my house, I guarantee you he had some scoundrels in that house once in a while. It wasn't that they weren't ever going to make mistakes, but he said, but we're going to make some commitments, and I have a confidence that this house is going to be a house that will follow God. Because the future is, can be that important to us. So here's what we know. Joshua now makes these statements. But with all that being said, this challenge and everything that we're talking about, we're talking to you and me who have imperfect families. We're imperfect parents. We have imperfect kids. We're imperfect teenagers. We're imperfect adults. We, we're, just, we're dysfunctional families by definition, all of us in this room. Which leads me to the last thought I want to grab from today, and that is this. The Lord loves to take what's broken and make something beautiful. No matter where your family may be, what it's gone through, in all the areas of your life, when we talk about families, we talk about homes, some, for some people this is a very painful topic because of things they've experienced in their growing up years in their child-raising years, in their past child-raising years. There's, there's pain, there's, there's some, the history, that, and, and, and we've made personal, if only I'd, I had one person tell me, man, I wish I would have heard this 10 or 15 years ago. But you know what? You've heard it today. You can start from this point, and God likes to take things that look like they're impossible and just, they're not going to work, and he loves to take those things and make something beautiful out of them. That's what the grace of God does over and over again. He loves to take those kind of things and change them and make them into every family in here has a measure of dysfunction, yours and mine. And you're going to meet some of them this week at Thanksgiving. I, I get that, right? We all know that there are some issues. But God likes to take those things that look like they're hopeless and ugly and make something beautiful out. Let me show you why this fits into this story. 
If you were to fast forward this story a little bit, Joshua's plan worked for his generation and those immediate, they, they did serve God. But just a few years later, we move to the next book of the Bible, Judges, chapter 2 and verse 8. Joshua died. After that, a generation had been gathered to their ends, and that generation had been gathered to their ancestors. And another generation grew up who, neither, who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. There's now a generation that's not following the Lord the way Joshua's generation did. That's, that's a frightening thought, that you could be just one generation away from apostasy. That's a thought. But what happens in the book of Judges, if you're familiar with it, is they begin this cycle. They've been following God. They turn to reject God. God judges them and gets them back to the point where they will repent. He brings a deliverer. He re- delivers them. They follow God for a little while, and then it's like your shampoo bottle. They repeat it all over again. They sin, they fall, they judge, they repent, they, they start following, then they sin, they fall. And it just repeats this cycle. And some of the things in Judges are just beyond imagination. It's even hard to read some of the ways that they fall. In fact, one of the summaries of the book of Judges, the very last verse says, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And that was a very painful experience to do what I want to do. And they proved by not following God, how far this could go. All of that, it, it just seems like it's worthless. That's, that's ugly. Let's just, let's just cut it out of. But here's what happens. The book of Ruth is written during that time of the judges. And in the book of Ruth, there's this great love story that happens. So, I mean, it's a Hallmark movie. You can just see the snow falling as they're giving. The, it's just a beautiful story of this, this, uh, this widowed woman who comes back and meets a man, and he cares for her, and he does the right thing with her, and he brings, and, and they become, they, just this restoration. It's just beautiful picture. But you come to Ruth, Ruth chapter 4 and verse 13, and this is Boaz. That's the one who married Ruth. He took her. She became his wife. She gave birth to a son. They named him Obed, and he was a father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, that sounds like a genealogical record, and maybe that doesn't mean anything to you, but David would ultimately become the king of Israel, the man after God's own heart, and he would actually become the king on whose throne, ultimately, the Messiah is going to sit. So what we know is from Ruth comes the seed that is going to come, become the king of kings and lord of lords. Jesus is going to be born into this family line. Do you see what's happening here? God's taking the ugliest situation of all of Israel, the time of the judges, and right in the middle of it, there's this beautiful flower that begins to grow. And out of that flower comes the deliverer of the entire world through Jesus Christ. God loves to take things that are ugly like, like Ruth's family, like Abraham's family, like your family and mine. He loves to take some things that don't look so good and turn them into something beautiful if we will follow what he, if we will say, me and my house, me and my home, we're going to do our best to follow God as he has called us to do. I want to leave you with one other verse. Later in Israel's history, they, the cycle, they, they have these issues, they're taken into captivity, but at this point in Isaiah, they begin to, they're beginning to go back and to, to follow God again, and he gives them this amazing verse, and I want you to hear it. Isaiah 43 God says to Israel, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. 
Now he's talking to Israel, and but that's a verse that I believe we can apply. That at some point, you say, I don't, whatever the past was, it's the past. But from this point, I'm not going to talk about the past. I can't change that. But from this point on, God's doing something new in me. God's going to do something new in my family. Me and my home, from today on, we're going to do what God has called us the best way that we can. Whatever that family, wherever you are in that home situation. Do, do you realize that you, God wants to make something new in your life specifically? That as, as a person, we are sinners before a holy God and we stand separated before God. And we need something that will change that. And so Jesus came and he died. He, he lived a perfect life. He died on a cross for your sins and for mine to make a way so that you could know his father and to make a way so you could have new life. And now he offers you an opportunity. If you will receive his gift, he will forgive you of your sins. He will take the past away and he'll make something new out of you, a brand new creation. Have you experienced that? Do you know that everything's new and that you're one of God's children because you've received the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ? Today can be a brand new day for you if you'll receive his gift. Let your sins be forgiven. But let me also just challenge you as a family. Would this be a great day to either start new or reconfirm what God has done and you say, me and my home, working through all the imperfections, we're going to do what we can to be a home that will serve the Lord. We're going to take an inventory, put away those gods that are keeping us, and we're going to follow God, whatever it, me and, me and my home, we're going to serve the Lord. What, what step do you need to take to strengthen your home? Praying with your spouse every day? Praying with your kids? More than just some little rote prayer, but teach them how to really communicate to God. Opening your Bible and letting your kids see you read your Bible. Reading together with your spouse, with your kids. Making church a priority, whether you're involved and you're connected, and they are as well. And, and you, what, what kind of steps would it take? Would it be saying, uh, in our household, this is what's going to happen? And maybe, maybe it's putting a rock in the front yard and say, that's our rock for today, that we're going to do what God is. What step could you take today to say, God, as for me and my home, we're going to serve God? This morning, I think it would be a great time for you to commit that to prayer. Maybe you're here by yourself. Maybe you're here as a family, or maybe you're here as a couple, whatever. Your kids within a family, can I just encourage you to take a moment and, and just pray? To start, to reconfirm what God is saying. Maybe, maybe gather your kids, gather your spouse together, and you pray in these next few moments as we continue. Make a covenant, me and my home. I, I love this. Joshua said, me and my house. And basically he's saying, not in my house. Here, could you just say this? Say, devil, not in my house. This, this is my house. You're not getting into this one. Me and my home, we want to serve God with everything that we have.